Take your Bibles with me, Matthew chapter 7, this morning. We are week 13 of the Sermon on the Mount. We have four messages left. This week, next week, I'll be gone a week. Cody's going to fill in. I told him not to worry about the Sermon on the Mount that week. I didn't want him to have to try and wrap things up at all. And so then two weeks after that, and then we're into Christmas. So uh, four or five weeks, and then we hit December. And this year has gone by fast in the Sermon on the Mount series, I feel like is going by too quickly. We're in Matthew 7. Uh, we're going to see a verse that, that we all have heard. We've probably used at some point incorrectly. Uh, but before we get to that verse, before we dive into Matthew 7, I just, just kind of remember where we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. Right? We, we start with the Beatitudes, and, and Beatitudes, in my opinion, leads to, as we would live out the Beatitudes, it leads to being salt and life, uh, light in this world that God created. Okay, and then there was this, unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus walked us through different scenarios of where their righteousness wasn't good enough. And, and, and the lust of our flesh and, and pride and different characteristics of what that looks like. And then we got to Matthew 6, 1. And, and most commentators uh, would make this a separate point, and I agree with them. And, and in Matthew 6, 1, it's this, um, let me just read it. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Right, so here's this whole warning of we're going to practice righteousness, we're going to put on some sort of outward godliness for the sole purpose of the praise of men. And he walks through prayer, fasting, and giving, not necessarily in that order, and most commentators then have at the end of chapter 6, going into chapter 7, is this whole like miscellaneous category on the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, I'm not saying I'm smarter than most of these commentators that I'm reading, but part of me wonders if all of this somehow still ties in to, to Matthew 6.1. Like, beware practicing your righteousness before men. So, so even, and worry and fear. Like, like we're going to worry about food and, and drink and clothing last, last week. And, and we're worried about these things. Why? Because all those things say something about us. And so there's some people who would worry about, we want to eat. But in our culture. We're not so worried about the next meal, but we are worried about what our meal that we post on Instagram would say about us and how many likes it would get. Okay, so, so I feel like there's still this category of like, we're going to practice our righteousness before men, or we're worried about how people are going to view us. You could say it that way. Okay, so now we go to, to 7-1, and, and part of me, again, this is my own thought. We don't have to take this, you know, whatever. But part of me thinks that this verse 1 that we, we all know, do not judge, so it will not be judged. It's kind of the flip side of 6-1. Sixth one is, hey, be careful that we don't put too much emphasis on what people think about us. And seven one is now, hey, be careful about how you think of others. Like, like we're going to go down this road and, and we don't want those who are citizens of the kingdom to, to come out with this, this way of thinking towards other people. We want you to live for the approval of men, but we also don't want you to, to put some sort of approval of men, like the opposite of six one, onto other people. Okay, so, so that's just my thought. Let's dive into the text, and we'll explore it. And we're just going to do the first six verses of Matthew 7 this morning. So let's read those uh, six verses, and then we'll dive in. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Okay, so, so this first phrase, do not judge. Like, we hear that often. 
If, if we're in some sort of sin, we're doing something that, that wouldn't be glorifying to God, however you want to word that, and someone comes alongside and, and says to that person, hey, I don't, I don't know if what you're doing is the best idea, or I don't know, right? And, and their response is, who are you to judge, or you're not my judge, or you can't judge, or God told you not to, like something about judging, right? And yet in the context, like, like right here, we've already read it, verse 5. What does Jesus say? He says, here, we'll talk more about the situation in a little bit, but here's a situation where, where you're being stricter on someone else and you're being strict on, on yourself, right? You're, you're going to force rules on them that you're not forcing on your own self. And so verse 5, he says what? He says, you're a hypocrite. Like judging from your actions, we can make this, this judgment call and he says, you're a hypocrite. So Jesus himself would say, don't judge. And yet a couple verses later, he appears to be judging by, by how we would word that. You can keep going uh, down this context, right? He calls people dogs and swine. Like, uh, we'll talk more about that, but he makes a judgment call and calls them these things. Uh, he ca- later, he calls false prophets wolves in sheep's clothing. He says, you will know them by your fruit. And so, so the context of, of Matthew 7 alone would say how we would normally hear verse 1 interpreted is not a correct interpretation. Okay, so most people are going to say this. They're going to say that this is more of an American culture. We would put it this way. Don't be so judgmental. Don't, don't be the person that, that's going to bring about some judgment on somebody else uh, that's maybe not worth it. Let's talk about D.A. Carson. He has a quote real quick. It is easy to see how powerful and dangerous the temptation to be judgmental can be. The challenge to be holy has been taken seriously and a fair degree of discipline, service, and formal obedience have been painstakingly won. Okay, let's just pause so we understand what he's saying here. This is D.A. Carson saying that he himself would have put in the effort and put in the time and studied his Bible so that he might grow in his Christian walk. And what does he say? He said it's painstakingly. Like the, it, it took time, it took effort, okay? it took discipline, took all of these things. Okay? Now, I tell myself, I can afford to look down my long nose at my less disciplined peers and colleagues. Or perhaps I've actually experienced a generous measure of God's grace, but somehow I've misconstrued it and come to think that I have earned it. As a result, I may look askance at those whose vision, in my view, is not as large as my own, whose faith is not as stable, whose grasp of the deep truths of God not as masterful, whose service record is not as impressive, in men's eyes at least, whose efforts have not been as substantial. These people... That don't seem to, to match his opinion of, of how much he's grown and how much he understands the deep truths of God's word. Okay, these people are diminished in my eyes. I consider their value as people inferior to my own. Okay, that's what I think we're getting at. That last phrase where he says, I consider their value as inferior to my own. Like, like we can say that D.A. Carson, from my understanding of who he is and the books I've read from him, understands more about the word of God than I do. Like, he can, he can say that and, and be 100% totally correct and not be judgmental. But it comes down to that last phrase, when it's because of my understanding his words, deeper truths of God, he, he has better understanding of those things that now he thinks less of me or less of somebody else. Like, I think that's the struggle here, right? Like, like because, because I am this way or think this way or, or I've learned this and, and maybe I'm a better worker than you are. Maybe I'm a harder worker than you are. Maybe, maybe I have a PhD, whatever it is. Like that doesn't make me judgmental, but when I think of you as inferior, in the context of the kingdom of God, when I think of you as like not as valuable to the kingdom, when I think of you like, we would never say this, at least we wouldn't say it this bluntly, but like God did good job saving me maybe he didn't really need you, 
right? Like that becomes now this judgmental because, because somehow I have more value. You have now become inferior. Okay, so, so let's just walk through. Like we're in the, the fall season. There's a couple of situations that I'll bring up that have to do with the timing of the season that we're in. Okay, tomorrow night, like and I'm, not, I'm not trying to offend anybody. Uh, I have nobody in mind, okay? Tomorrow night, there's going to be people who dress up like who knows what. And they're believers and they're citizens of the kingdom and they're going to participate in trick-or-treating and, and their kid's going to look like some whoever movie character. And, and you would be like, man, I, I wouldn't even let my kids see that movie and yet, and yet that kid's wearing a costume from that movie. And, and it's going to be real easy to say like, wow, I can't believe they're doing that. Okay? It's going to be easy for somebody to say, hey, you know what? My neighbor's dressing up as some movie character and so my kid is dressing up from the same movie so that I can befriend him so that we can go trick-or-treating together so that hopefully I can build a relationship and share the gospel with him. And then he looks at the person who's not trick-or-treating at all and thinks, man, I can't believe they're not participating in something where the whole neighborhood would get together like they're missing out on an opportunity to share Jesus. And then there's some people who don't dress up at all and they hand out tracts and Bibles and some people just turn off their lights and don't do anything of Halloween. Right? And, and what happens is all this is happening in the church. Right? Like all these people are, are citizens of the same kingdom. All these people are followers of the same Savior. And yet we allow like, like oh, you, you participate in Halloween? Like I'm going to look down my nose at you now. Like all of a sudden you're inferior. Like why would God do that? Like what's his problem? Why did he save you? Like all these horrible things because you participate in Halloween or you don't participate in Halloween. Like I'm, I'm not saying who cares, but I am saying like you come to your conclusion and don't look down your nose at somebody who comes to a different conclusion. In a couple weeks, not even a couple, week and a half, uh, we're going to vote. Some of you probably already voted. Two years ago on social media, I saw this phrase, and it really, it really bothered me. And, and I'm not on social media anymore, uh, or less. I'm on social media less, I should say. So who knows? I haven't seen it pop up yet. But two years ago, the phrase that so many people on my Facebook page would say, if you vote for this person, this candidate, or this whatever, I would, I would struggle, I, I would have a hard time seeing that you're a believer. Right? Like, if, if you vote for this person who I agree with, pff, you're a believer. No problem. If you vote for this person who I, I struggle to see, I don't like their views, I don't like their marriage background, like, or whatever their struggle with that, that candidate is, you vote for him, man, I wonder if you're even saved. Right? We're in, this, we're in the church. Like, this is believer to believer. Saying, like, like, like this isn't just one church here and a church over there that have two different views. This is, like, same church with different people in that church. And all of a sudden, we allow politics to become this thing that we're going to judge people over. Right? A couple other things. Just, again, nobody in mind just throwing things out there. Like, alcohol. What do you do with alcohol? Do Christians drink? Do Christians not drink? We can read passages where the psalmist is, like, praising God for wine. And people are like, I can't believe that person would drink. And yet, there'd be some people who'd go to the Bible and say, hey, you know what? There's fair warnings against drinking, so I'm not going to drink. Okay, that's fine. Whether you drink or not drink, like hopefully you have some biblical argument for that, but it's not worth fighting over the church over. It's not worth me thinking you're less valuable to the kingdom because, because you have a different opinion on what the Bible says on drinking. Same thing goes with Bible reading. Like there are times in a small group where, where maybe someone's going through a struggle, a hard time in life, and, and for you, a hard week of Bible reading means you read it like six times instead of seven. Like, man, it was a rough week. I only got six in this week. And you're with somebody who's, guess what? Their rough week is zero. And if they could somehow be negative, they would be. And it's been rough for the last three weeks. And it's so easy for us to just, to just look down our nose because I'm so good at Bible reading. You're so bad at Bible reading. Like, why do you even come to small group anymore? Like, you're not valuable to the kingdom. You're not valuable. To, like, it's so easy for us to be so judgmental. 
And, and every situation I just said, like, and I'm thinking of church, local church context, like people in the church. Like we're going to divide our church, we're going to judge people in our church because of silly things that, that ultimately in the grand scheme of life probably don't matter that much. Right? But it also happens outside the church. You pull up to a red light. I can pretty much guarantee that you've heard this, these statements before. You pull up to a red light and there's a guy holding a cardboard sign. Either you or somebody in the car, at some point in your life, you, the words have, have been spoken in the car. One of two things. Everybody's hiring? Just go get a job, dude. Or second, I would never give him money because he's only going to buy drugs and alcohol. Like not, I can maybe say once, a couple times maybe in my life, I have heard somebody say, like, I wonder what I can do to actually help. Like, like sometimes there'll be a conversation like, hey, you know how many guys have been in the military that come back with PTSD and they can't keep a job and, and there's a whole, whole thing going on in their brain. Like, like there's a struggle and they're homeless now or, or guys who have million dollar houses who get into gambling and now they're on, the, like, like we just think like, oh, drugs and alcohol, whatever. Like we just jump to some conclusion. It's like Jesus called us to share the gospel with these people. Jesus called us to, to, to love the people in our community. Not sit at a street corner and so many, you know, throw stones type of mentality. Like if we're going to be citizens of the kingdom, what does Jesus say? He says, we don't, we don't live this judgmental mentality. We don't think this way. We don't talk this way. And so if I could just sum it up of, of just this first phrase of, of, of how do we know if we're judgmental? How do we know if we fit in this category? I, I just have three things. All three are going to sound really similar. So I could just make them one long one, but I didn't. Three things. If you are quick to find faults in others, you're probably judging. Right, like, like if you're at a party, you just meet somebody new, and in about five minutes of talking to them, you have 14 different ways that they're inferior to you. Right, you're, you're, you're probably judging. If you are quick to point out these faults when that person is praised by others, you're probably judging. Like, how many times is it like, like, here's somebody that bothers me, here's somebody that, that I view as inferior, that I don't like for whatever reason, and, and a coworker's like, hey, did you see Ger- Gerald? Let's go with Gerald today. Uh, did you see Gerald? Like, he did such a good job on that project. You don't like Gerald. So what is your first reaction? To talk about how he's always late to work. To talk about how he's a horrible husband, or to talk about his, his spending habits, or, or whatever else you want to talk about. Like, like, all of a sudden, it's like, hey, Gerald just got praised, but he doesn't deserve to be there because he's not as good as I am, so let me do what? Let me, let me chop him down back to size. Right? So if we're quick to find faults, if we're quick to point out those faults, and then the third one, if our first thought towards someone is evil or degrading, humiliating, I'm going to say we're probably judging. So you mentioned somebody's name. Uh, Mary. Oh man, I just, I just love Mary. Uh, Edward. Edward's a great dude. I'm so glad he's in my small group. Like I'm going to text Edward right now. Like, thanks Ed for being a part of the group. Okay. Right. And then you, then you mentioned Gerald again and, and it's like, man, I hate that guy. Man, he's this, he's that, like he's lazy. And we, we come up with like a hundred things that we don't like about him. I'm just going to say, if he's, he, he's part of the community, he's part of the kingdom, we're probably judging. Like Jesus says, this is not our first thought. This is not what we would try to find out. We're not trying to find out dirt about people. We're not trying to condemn them. Like we want to think the best of them. Okay, so, so what does this come from though? What, this judging heart, what does it come from? I think it comes from some sort of self-righteousness. D.A. Carson in his quote, he said what? He's like painstakingly. He's, he's done this discipline, he's done some sort of service, he's done some sort of study, and he's done it, and he, and his, you know, in his thinking, he's made it so far 
And, and, and God's grace, he, he says, I deserved it or I earned it or however you want to word that. And so there's this self-righteous attitude that says, I did it. Why can't you? I, I'm not addicted to that drug. I'm not part of that lifestyle. I'm not fill in the blank, whatever it is that you want to be so judgy over. And it's like, I did it and, and my own power. Now you need to do it in your own power. And that's not how any of this works. But it just reveals a self-righteous nature. Okay, at the end of verse one, though, it says what? Beginning of verse one, do not judge the uh, second half so that you will not be judged. Okay, what does that mean? Well, I think Jesus is going to help us uh, in, in verse two to understand the second half of verse one. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard or measure, it will be measured to you. Okay? I'm not going to answer this, but I'm really just going to bring it up. There's a big question of, of who's doing the judging. So verse 2, for in the way you, obviously the listener, you and I, judge, you will be judged. Okay? Who will you, who will we be judged by? Two thoughts. One would be God. And we know that. We know that one day we'll stand before Jesus for the works that we've done for him uh, and, and precious gems and all those things. Okay? But is he referring to something in the future at that moment? Or is he referring to, to humanity in the here and now? Some people would say both. Some people would pick one or the other. Okay? But, but here's what he's saying. The way that you judge, uh, how you judge other people, judgmental, all these things, like you will receive that. Okay? Now, there's, uh, I, I found it in a commentary. I did not find it anywhere else. I Googled it. I looked in other commentaries. I tried my hardest to find it. I can't find it anywhere else. So I'm not saying I distrust the source. I'm just saying I can't find any more information. But according to one commentator, the rabbinical teaching, so a rabbi collectively meeting together, would have some sort of teaching during Jesus' day that you could judge two ways. And you could judge, the first way would be justice. And this isn't like judge, like, you know, you go to court judge. This is you judging other people, right? And so you could judge according to justice. And they said that was strict. That was like militant. That was, this is right. That is wrong. Uh, You're a sinner. This is horrible. Like very strict type of judging. Okay. They said there's a second way that you can judge. And that word was mercy. And you can judge and, and you can be merciful and you can say, hey, you're a sinner, but so am I. Let me come alongside of you. Let me help you. Let's grow together. Let's conquer sin together. Like, let's do this as a group and let's, let's work together. Let's be merciful. And so, so just with that background of Jesus' day, like when he says in verse 2, your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Okay, now, whether this is from God judging us in the future or humanity judging us now, like, I feel like we can at least say in the here and now, we have this temptation. Right? If somebody's strict, if somebody's arrogant and self-righteous and, and their way is the only way, like, we tend not to judge them mercifully. We tend not to, to treat that person with graciousness and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. We tend to treat them just the same way they treated us. You want to be harsh with me? I'm going to be harsh with you. And what does Jesus say? He says, here's the measure. Standard measure, it will be measured back to you, which makes, us, makes me go back to Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful. Why? They shall receive mercy. So again, is that from God or is that from others? I don't know, but I, I, I would tend to think maybe that's what Jesus is referring to here. That we would be judging people, we'd be viewing people not as some strict lawgiver, but as somebody who's broken over their sin that would come alongside and help somebody else. Okay, now Jesus moves on, uh, verse 3. He gives us a somewhat humorous illustration. He says, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? 
right? So, so the picture here, and, and, and as crazy as it would be, like you have a log or a beam sticking out of your, your eyeball, your forehead, somewhere on your face, and you don't even notice it. But you notice the speck that is on somebody else's face. Like, like how, you know, he calls them here in verse 5, you hypocrite. And, and yet, our, our self-righteousness would do what? Our self-righteousness would cause us to be blind to the, the log protruding out of our face. Like, like, in our self-righteousness, we can find a speck, and we can probably find a speck in everybody's eye, and why everybody should be, should be knocked down a level, and why nobody should be praised. And in our self-righteousness, we can, we can easily find the faults of everybody else, and yet we miss our own fault. Okay? Illustration. I debate sharing this one. I might change my mind halfway through and just stop talking. Um, Okay, nobody in my mind. Okay, um, I have a friend. Okay, there's somebody in my mind, and he's a friend, and he's I don't remember, he's like in Wyoming or something, so he's not even close to Florida. Uh, but you, uh, married couple, they get pregnant. Uh, the wife's body's going through all sorts of changes. There's cravings, and one of those cravings is some sort of ice cream. And there's an ice cream we could say feast, maybe like every night, multiple times a week, whatever it is, right? Well, the husband says, "Hey, <laughs> that looks really delicious." So, so at the end of nine months, not only is the wife bigger and a baby inside of her, but her husband is rather larger too. Uh, and then you fast forward a few weeks. Baby's born, maybe a couple months. Baby's crawling around. And the husband is still plus 20 pounds than he used to be. And he makes a comment to his wife about, hey, let's get back in shape. But he's not necessarily referring to himself. He's referring more to his wife, the one who had the baby. And it's like, and again, I would say this to my friend because I was the type of friend. But it's like, you're the one that still looks pregnant, man. Like, like this isn't, but, but in our self-righteousness, it's like, hey, I can, I can overlook my own struggle and point out my wife's, right? And I feel like marriages, like we get really good at this. Like we can be really good in a marriage of like, you didn't fulfill the whatever, picking up your socks, or, you know, whatever the struggle. And yet there's a struggle that you have that you're totally oblivious to. Okay, let's take it a little bit more real. We can go to a small group and get frustrated at somebody for not memorizing any of the Sermon on the Mount. Like, they're, they're at zero verses. And we're frustrated by that, and we're annoyed at that, and we look down, back to verse 1, we judge them for that. We look down our long nose, as Carson would say. And yet we go home, and we would watch something on Netflix or Amazon or whatever that nobody should watch, much less a follower of Jesus. And it's like, should we memorize scripture? Yeah, the Bible talks about memorizing scripture. But, but we can be so quick to judge somebody who didn't memorize anything from the Sermon on the Mount yet, and yet we're still participating in the world's filth. Right? We can get upset at somebody in the church because it's like, you know what? Uh, we think you need to be there every Sunday when the doors are open. And like, to some extent, I agree. You should be at church. Like, Praise God for you that are here. And we get so upset at somebody who's not here, consistent enough, or however we want to word that, and yet we can leave Sunday and go jump into the sin that the world promotes and think nothing of it. And so often, what do we do? Is we can overlook a beam sticking out of our own eye so that we can try and nitpick somebody else's speck in their own eye. And Jesus says what? He says, this is not kingdom living. Kingdom living is what? Look at the verse. Verse 5. First, take the log out of your own eye. Like, like before you would ever, we're going to talk about a verse in Galatians in just a second, but before you would ever go to somebody else, what is, what is step one? Step one is to check yourself. So, so here's, here's the two extremes that I'm afraid of. 
right? There's two extremes. One is already found in the text, that we're going to be self-righteous hypocrites who would have a beam sticking out of our eye and not think about it and not care about it and go around trying to take everybody's speck out of their eye while you're struggling with this huge beam sticking out of your eye, right? Like, like that's, that would be a concern. But here's my other concern, is that as a church body, we would work together for, for, the, for the growth of the group, for the group of each individual. So, so I'm here for your growth and you're here for my growth. And in my small group, like each person in my small group is there for my own growth and, and I'm there for their growth. And they're like this mutual working together that we might grow, right? Okay, here's my, here's my fear. Is that some of us in our uh, humility that we take too far, we would say, I, I struggle with too much. I can never point out their spec. Like I, I can never get to the point where I would be able to say to them, hey, uh, you've been coming to small group for, for 10 years now. I think it's time we, we, we start taking it more serious. And, and we never say that. Why? Because, because I struggle with my own thing and he struggles with his thing. And, okay, but, but at some point we got to talk. Right? So Galatians 6.1. You can turn there if you want. Just write it down in your Bible if you want. But here's what Paul would say to the church in Galatia. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. Okay, what is he saying? He's saying, here's someone caught in sin, caught in trespass, like he's outside the will of God, however you want to word that. You who are spiritual, we could go down a whole rabbit trail of what that means. We're just going to define that as somebody who's not in that sin. Okay, you, you see this guy, he's in a sin, he's struggling with something. Like you who are spiritual, you who are walking with God, who are not... Uh, your life isn't controlled by that specific sin of what's going on. You go and you help restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Why? Because you know, apart from God's grace, you'd be doing the same thing he's doing. Right? That's kingdom living. So, so don't take, don't judge, and, and, and don't take the speck out of your brother's eye until the log's out of your eye. Don't take that to say, I don't have the opportunity to ever say anything to somebody to try and get them to grow. Like, that is not what the Bible says. Like, it is fair game of you're walking with God to the best of your ability that you would you'd speak truth into somebody's life for restoration, not for humiliation, right? And it's fair game for somebody who's walking with Jesus to call me out and to say, hey, here's what I've seen in your life. And I, and I, I just, as a brother, or as a, I am a brother, so I'm probably not a sister, but as a brother, like, I just, I just want you to, I just want you to know this is what we see. Like, that's fair game. Why? Because we all need it. Because we all are sinners and we all struggle. Okay? And then we get to this last section here, verse 6. And in verse 6, Jesus says, Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Okay? I'm going to give you what 99% of people say about this verse. And then I'm going to share something similar, but maybe a little bit different of, of how I think. Uh, do not give what is holy to dogs, nor throw your pearls before swine. Let's talk about dogs and pigs real quick. Dogs in the Bible, Deuteronomy 23, relates them to the harlot. Uh, Philippians 3 relates them to false teachers. Revelation 22 relates them to those who are outside the kingdom. The passage has something to do with magicians and people who work in immorality and things like that. Okay, so, so every instance that dogs given in the Bible, it is, is used towards somebody who's outside the kingdom, not a believer. Swine, pigs, they're the uncleanest of all the animals. Even today, you can go to certain cultures that would practice unclean, and, and the pigs pretty much the top of the list. Okay, so, so for Jesus to say dogs and pigs, like that's not a good thing necessarily, but it's also this picture of those who are outside the kingdom. Okay, so this is how a lot of people would interpret these verses. To give what is holy and to take your pearls, holy and pearls, they're going to define as the gospel. 
And they're going to say, we're not going to take the gospel and give it to those who, not necessarily outside the kingdom, but those who are outside the kingdom and reject it. Okay, so I think it's Matthew 22. I didn't write it down. Uh, but there's some passage, Matthew 22 sounds wrong. I take that back. I forget what passage it is. But there's some passage where Jesus sends out the disciples and there's this, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, you're going to preach and you're going to preach repentance. You're going to preach the kingdom. And if the people don't respond in that city to, to your preaching, what are you going to do? You're going to shake the dust off your feet. And you're going to turn them over, and it's this, we tried, we were here, and we're walking away. Okay, so, so there's exactly what Jesus said. And so there's some people that take what Jesus said, and they'd put it here in verse 6. Okay. I don't say, I'm not going to say I disagree with that. But there's just a couple of things in the context that make me think maybe it's a little bit different. And, and so let's just talk a little bit about the context. Verse 6, to say holy and pearls is only the gospel. My struggle is, our context, up to, to verse 6, is what? Is, is this idea of speaking truth to your brother to remove the speck that is out of his eye. Right? Verse 5 ends with, that you would clearly take the speck out of your brother's eye. Like, take out your beam, your log, so that you can take the speck out of your brother's eye. So he's not saying take out your beam and then don't worry about your brother's speck. He's saying, no, you would go and you would confront him in such a way that would be loving and you would seek the restoration of a brother. And so, so there's some sort of speaking the truth to, to, to a fellow citizen of the kingdom. I feel like that's the context. Okay, so, so that makes me wonder on verse 6 if we could maybe define holy and pearls as this kingdom reminder. Like, hey, you're a citizen of a different kingdom. Stop living for the earthly kingdom. Okay, which would, which would then mean what? Why in the world would will we go to a dog or a pig and tell them to live like a citizen of a heavenly kingdom? You're, you're not. You're, you're not a citizen of a heavenly kingdom. And, and so throughout history, we can see times where the church has tried to force those who are not part of the church, not just coming on Sunday, but like they have nothing to do with Jesus, have nothing to do with the Word of God, they have nothing to do with anything, and they would say, hey, let me force onto you some sort of religious exterior thing, and that's a good thing. And people do what? They rebel. And isn't that what Jesus says here? They would turn and tear to pieces. The other thing that, that just context, right? Sermon on the Mount. What do we do with our enemies, according to Jesus, in Sermon on the Mount? He says you love them. And what is the most loving thing you can do for somebody who would be outside the kingdom? It would be to present Jesus and present him as beautiful and holy and savior and all those things. But it wouldn't be to, pre pre to present him in such a way as like, like, here's his kingdom and you're not fitting into it because you're such a horrible person. Like, wouldn't it be more valuable to love him and invite him over for dinner and share Jesus with him in that way than to stand and cast stones at how horrible of a person they are and how their lives don't match the Bible in which they don't even believe? And so, so the context, right, for me makes, me, makes me more feel like here's this idea of like kingdom living is for those who are in the kingdom. So if you want to, to talk kingdom living to somebody who's outside the kingdom, the first thing we do is we love them and, and invite them into the kingdom. We don't force kingdom living on those who are outside the kingdom. We want to encourage kingdom living for those who are inside the kingdom. Right, but either way, which, whichever kind of way you want to take this, here's what I don't want us to say. I don't want us to say in verse 6 that this person won't listen to me, so therefore I'm not going to say anything. Like We, we cannot say, hey, I, I have the gospel that, that someone shared with me, and I'm not going to share it with that person because he looks too far gone, because he's, he's got this and he's got that and he does this and his lifestyle and, and all these things, so he just seems too far gone, so I'm going to label him a dog or a pig, and I'm not even going to do it because Jesus tells me not to. That is not what Jesus is saying. 
Because throughout the Bible, it's what? Every tongue, tribe, and nation would come to Jesus. That we would go tell every creature. And so, so this is not a hairs away for me to justify not sharing the gospel with somebody I find scary. Right? Like, like we cannot take it to mean that way at all. Okay, but in this context, right? Matthew 7, where are we at? Verse 1, do not judge. Like kingdom citizens, how do we live our lives? We don't live our lives, according to chapter 6, verse 1, as people who are worried more about what, what, what people think than we are about what God thinks. Like we're going to be worried about how God views us. We want to live our lives for His glory and His praise. Chapter 7, we're not going to live our lives as people who would be judgmental. We're not going to live our lives as people who would look down our nose as we are superior and somehow they're inferior. So what does that mean? It means as we would, would seek to, to come alongside people, we're going to take care of ourselves. I mean, we're going to allow other people to help in that, but we're going to take out the log out of our own eye. We're going to take that beam out. We're going to help each other with taking specks out of eyes so that we might uh, grow as a group and grow as individuals, becoming more and more like Jesus. And then I think as we relate to those who are outside the church, what do we do with them? We love them. When we present Jesus to them, and they would come. Uh, we have this story from from Anniversary Sunday of someone outside the church and they come and, and they've been a couple of these Anniversary Sunday picnics and every time they use words like beautiful and, and community and, and just this group that you have together. And it's like, may that be who we are. May we love them and present to them a beautiful Savior and a beautiful church that, that would follow after Him and, and not say to them, hey, here's a list of the kingdom rules that you've been breaking recently and let me lecture you about it. Right? We don't want to judge them uh, to, to sound somewhat unloving, but a pig's going to live like a pig. And a dog's going to live like a dog. And so let's invite them into the kingdom so that, so that Jesus might change them. So that Jesus might transform their lives. So that Jesus would bring them into the kingdom. And then we get to talk kingdom talk with them. All right, but for us, uh, I, like, like we're going to do the Lord's Supper here in just a second. Like, like, what I didn't plan it. It's the last Sunday of the month. That's when we try to do Lord's Supper. So this is just God's thing. But like, here's an opportunity for us in, in a moment as we would hand out the elements for us to just stop and, and ask Jesus, what beam is sticking out of my face right now? Like, what log do I have that, I, that I'm just missing in my own self-righteousness? And so I'm going to pray uh, and then we're going to hand out the, the elements and we will do the Lord's Supper. In that moment though, please Take time to check your own life. God, am I judging? Am I self-righteous? And what do I need to fix in my own life as I would stare at somebody else's? Father, we thank you for this passage. Jesus, we thank you that you would preach hard, hard messages. Jesus, I can't, I, I can't even fathom what it, would look, what it would be like to speak the Sermon on the Mount and, and to call out the religious leaders of the day, to call out people as hypocrites, that, that the religion of the day was broken and it fell short of, of kingdom living. But Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you spoke hard messages. We thank you that you preached truth. We thank you that we have your word even this morning that we get to, to learn from and study from. Father, help us to be good kingdom citizens. Help us not to be judgmental. Help us not to look down our nose at other people. Help us not to cast stones. But God, may we come alongside and may we help. May we be more Galatians 6.1 that we would be walking with you and eager to restore others. And may it be less that we would have some form of, of righteousness and eager to humiliate others. So God, help us individually to grow. Help us as a church. May, may we as a church look more and more like you 
may we as a church look more like what it looks like to be a citizen of your kingdom. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.